Is mainstream school failing your kids? The pandemic, with all the changes to schooling and daily life, is a moment of opportunity to rethink the educational path that works best for you and for your kids. So the question is, how can we as parents find alternative solutions that aren't necessarily having to do it all ourselves or pay for programs that we can't afford? I'm Jerry Kirk. And I'm Graham Kirk. Join us as we talk with families thriving on their own path. We shared practical tips, wins, and challenges they've been through to help you on yours. We interview educational experts and parent entrepreneurs with education solutions for the modern age, so parents wanting a better alternative can make confident, informed choices. Welcome to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. You're ready for change. And so are we. Welcome back to the Modern Education Movement Podcast. My question for you today is, do you have an aspiring athlete or performer at home? And if you do, what do you think matters most to their success? Is it natural ability? Is it skill? Determination? Well, if you really want to know, my guest today, Jay Tuft, has the definitive answer. You see, he's a mental performance expert, coach, and teacher who worked at the United States Olympic Training Center. And while he was there, he spent hundreds of sessions with the world's best athletes to elevate their performance. Now, Jay's tackled the mental side of so many sports, from gymnastics, basketball, beach volleyball, and so on. I mean, you could probably name a sport, and he's probably coached an athlete in it. Now, his incredible success led him to start his own practice called Through Performance, Excellence, and Recovery Consulting. He's bringing the benefits of mental training to athletes at all levels. And he now sees the mental performance, oversees the mental performance training for 16 organizations which then in turn impacts over 5,000 athletes, performers, executives, business owners, parents, and coaches every year. So today, we're going to explore how you as a parent can support the athlete or performer in your family to achieve their very best. Jay, welcome to the show, man. Jerry, thank you so much for having me, man. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. Been looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, well, I've been, I've been chatting with my, my son, David, who's a, an inspiring athlete himself. So he's pretty, pretty jacked that we're having this conversation today, too. <laughs> what sport does he play? You know, it's interesting. With, with COVID, it actually shifted a little bit because, you know, he was all about baseball. Like, like he was like just devouring it. I mean, I mean, we're in Canada, so we're not quite the same level as the passion in, in the U.S. But that was kind of his first, his first sport love. But as, as COVID started to happen, you know, last while, he really had very little ability to, to play the team sport. So he really gravitated to basketball. And now, now he's, he's all about, I mean, he still likes ba- baseball, but it's, it's all about basketball for him now. Sounds like my kind of guy who played basketball and baseball. So now I love it. <laughs> well, then I, I have to ask you, I asked him yesterday, I'm like, is there any questions you want me to ask Jay? And he's like, hey, you know, he wants to know, like, have you, have you coached any professional um, baseball or, or basketball players? Um, no pro basketball. Actually, no, that's not true. I had one, uh, a couple over in Europe that I've worked with. Um, and then I have worked with a few professional baseball players. Um, cannot say who, uh, per the, per the agreement that I have with every single one of my individuals. So every single one of them, we have a, a confidentiality agreement that we sign. So, but the answer is yes, but unfortunately cannot disclose whom. Well, you still raised up the cool factor in his eyes. Oh, I love it. Good. See, day made right there. We can just end the podcast right now if you want. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I've just I've just been elevated as, you know, world's best dad now too. So thanks. So yeah, I mean, how are you these days? How, how are things in the world of performance coaching? I'm doing good, man. Obviously, you know, we are, you know, this is July 5th, 2021. So 
at least here in Denver, this is where I'm based out of, we're pretty much, I, I mean, knock on wood, coming out of it. Masks were um, lifted mid-May, and they were going to track severity of cases. And I'm going to go ahead and assume that the severity of cases hasn't gotten any worse. So had to make, obviously, a pivot into into my business. So, you know, all the team stuff that went by the wayside for a little bit. Um, was able to do some team stuff virtually, but pretty much took all my, all my one-on-one clients virtually. And at least from a business standpoint, I think it was a good decision. I'm not sure that I'm going to go back to true face-to-face sessions anytime soon, just from a a flexibility standpoint. It's a lot easier for, you know, a parent to get their athlete to me just via FaceTime or Zoom um, in their bedroom versus driving across town or or trying to coordinate schedules and stuff like that. So, you know, it's one of those where we've all been through a, a pretty tough time, but found a way to pivot, found a way to adapt. And it actually turns out that the adaptation was a good thing. So for everybody involved. So that's exciting. Awesome. Well, tell me, what, what got you into the world of performance coaching? Well, I was an athlete for a long time, got recruited out of high school, nothing division one. I actually realized very quickly that, you know, I was recruited for baseball and realized very quickly that I did not have a division one arm, but I had a division one brain and was able to get some money. And, you know, I come from a very, you know, blue collar, um, hardworking family from South Dakota, Midwest background. And so it just made a ton of sense for me to take that education money that I could get to uh, to a division one college and get some of that handled take the burden off too so but yeah and then when I was when I was at all through my undergrad, found a way to stay involved in sport. I actually had a, a pretty interesting role on the women's um, college basketball team where I was a member of the scout team, which is basically a fancy way of saying that we were one, I was one of five guys that the girls got to beat up on um, before they went and played their opponent every single week. So so what, what did that look like? It was essentially we we went to every practice. We went to every practice. If they had two-a-days, we were at two-a-days. If they were doing preseason stuff, we'd go play pickup ball with them. But basically we were, it was five or six of us guys and it was our job to, you know, and again, I had to play basketball in high school as well. So uh, it was our job to learn the offense and to learn what um, what the players were going to do, that they were going to go up to f- uh, face and then basically simulate that. So if, if the person that I was emulating um, that week was an outside shooter, that week I was I was throwing up everything, you know, from the, from the outside, and and so yeah, it was it was a ton of fun. It was great to be a part of that team. They actually went to one of the first NCAA tournaments. You know, University of South Dakota is where I went, and they're not a they're not a certainly not a Power Five school by any means. So the only way that you make the tournament is if you win your conference tournament, and they were able to win that and go on. So that was that was a it was a very cool experience. But from there, um, did a little bit of oh, I did a little bit of youth uh, youth baseball coaching as well, and then eventually just wanted to wanted to stay involved in sports somehow. And I had considered um, something on the medical side, but really took a took a Psych 101 course made a ton of sense to me. The professor that taught that course um, soon became a mentor. And I, I walked into his office and said, listen, man, this, this psychology stuff is, is really cool. I'm not necessarily sure that I want to work on the, on the mental health, like the extreme side of things. And, and he was wise enough to, you know, know me well enough to, you know, say, well, how do you feel about sports psychology? And I'm like, what is that? I have no idea that that even exists. So that led to a night of researching that, found the program out here in Denver, the University University of Denver has a tremendous um, high-performance psychology and sports psychology program. Did that, came out here um, towards the tail end of that, had the opportunity to go down to the Olympic Training Center and work one-on-one with those athletes. And that was in preparation for 2016, which would have been Rio. Uh, we we're getting ready for those. So the most people don't know that 
Olympic training sites. Generally, there's there's a summer-centric training site and there's a winter Olympic site. Um, the one down in Colorado Springs is actually a summer Olympic training site, and they have um, USA Swimming is housed out of there. There's a big USA shooting population there as well. So yeah, that was a tremendous experience, but finished up that contract as Rio concluded, and then decided that I just wanted to kind of go into private practice for myself based on some of the experience down there. Saw that, you know, really kind of had this sneaking suspicion that the the tactics and the tools and the, and the, the things that we were training these very high-level athletes to be able to do, I felt that those resources would actually be better served or be even more valuable to younger developing athletes and performers with this idea of, you know, I don't think it's necessarily that we need to wait until athletes, you know, kind of fail or fall on their face before we finally teach them how to handle the the stress and pressure and adversity that's inevitably going to happen when they're placed in those big moments that really matter to them. So um, like, like you said, in the intro, founded Perk um, back in 2016. I've been doing that for five years and it's it's been a good run. Had a had a really had a really good time doing it. And then um, it's really only been this last year where I've really started kind of the the train with perk the online side really trying to put as much resources out there um, as much reliable resources that parents and coaches and athletes alike can really rely on so that's been the, the synopsis so far so from you know from working with hundreds you know even thousands of, of athletes over the years um, what, what are some things that perhaps have surprised you at first you know when when working with them on, the, on the, the mental side of things? Well, I think the first thing when, when I was down at the Olympic Training Center um, or just really working with high-level athletes in general, I think it would surprise most people how many athletes get to their level just based on their pure physical talent. You know, there's, there's very, you know, at least when I was down there, and this was five years ago, there's very few athletes that even make it to the professional level that have invested a ton, I would say, into the mental side of their sport. But, you know, the thing that I always, you know, iterate to people is that you know, everybody finds their ceiling. You know, the, the physical side of your sport, the physical training, the technical training, the tactical training that you do, that's only going to get you so far. For some people, it can get you a ways. You know, for other people, it might not even, you know, get them that, that scholarship that they're looking for or that next opportunity that they're looking for. And, you know, it's really only once people have kind of made that investment in the mental side of their sport as well to help them get the most out of that physical, technical, and tactical training is where you really start to see people kind of, you know, actualize that potential that I think, you know, we kind of all feel like we have, that maybe there's a few mental barriers that are getting in the way of us being able to, you know, actualize that potential. Any any particular stories come to mind where, where you I mean as you point out like once you get to particularly once you get to a certain level the, the physical abilities aren't really all that different I would imagine between between them and then it really becomes more of a of a mental game Can you think of some some situations where where an athlete was working on their their mental side that like kind of really vaulted them forward um, yeah substantially? um one specifically and it's actually the the very first individual like official individual one-on-one client that I had when I was I I'd started perk at the same time that I was kind of finishing up the Olympic Training Center to kind of get that off the ground a little bit and the very first client that I had she was actually she was a national team figure skater not of the U.S. not of this country um, it's actually pretty common for other countries to send their some of their Olympians like figure skaters um, to the U.S. just because we have resources we have ice we have you know um, ice is the, always good yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's a, I mean it's a when you're you know skater. Especially when, you know, if, if, you know, this individual is coming from a South American country, a lot easier to find high quality ice 
advice and coaching up here in Colorado versus down there. But this individual is probably the one that really cemented exactly why I wanted to kind of go off on my own and to really work with these developing athletes and performers. And this individual, I mean, at the time she was 13 years old and she was really good. I mean, there's no doubt about it. She was really good. And because she was really good, she got vaulted through the ranks of her country's, you know, kind of figure skating pipeline. And she kept performing, kept performing, kept performing. And eventually she got to kind of, you know, like the level elite, you know, the, the elite level. And these are the people that you kind of see on, on television. And goes to, and this is before she had met me or before we had started working together, goes to kind of her first big competition, one that's going to be on TV. And... All of a sudden, she just completely melts down. Just like the pressure and the stress that made, that she had bottled up all those years, just she couldn't handle it. Like it had, the pressure had finally gotten to a level where it was not only going to hinder her performance, but like I mean, quite honestly, debilitating to like her her ability to just be able to function as a figure skater or even in that moment, just as like a you know as a high functioning person. And you know, I had met her dad, and her dad had you know we had talked a little bit and decided, yeah, you know, this is something that that we can it can definitely work on. And well, I mean, yeah, I mean, really at that point, it's like this is her career at stake. Yeah, you know, it's one it's one of those things and I think we see it a lot. I think we see it, you know, the story is far more common than I think that it should be, but you know, you have these young people. You know, in figure skaters and gymnasts, I mean, these are these are individuals, they start their sport young, they exit their sport young. So I mean, these are very young, not even, you know, fully developed human beings who are being thrust into very intense, very dynamic, very high stress environments and and she was no different. I mean, you know, they had all they had put all this time and energy and effort into the physical side of her sport into you know hours of coaching training the techniques that go into being a figure skater and you know figure skating like gymnastics for those parents out there you know it's a year-round sport you know it's not something that you just take a little you can't even really take you know one month off from it um, just with the way the equilibrium in the ear um, works with all the spins that they do so they had invested all these resources into all those other areas, but nobody really taught her what was going to happen when the lights came on, when the big lights came on, and, and how that was going to feel, and how those feelings were going to try and impact negatively her ability to perform. And enter me, and we started working together. It took about six months. I mean, it was it was it was a big project. It was a lot of work, and all the credit goes to her. All the credit goes to her for putting in the work, for putting in the time, for for buying in. And she was able to overcome those barriers and go on to have a have a career that was no longer at le- at the very least hindered by her inability to handle that stress and that pressure. And I think it was after that client where it's it kind of really drove the nail home. For for me that says, you know, this is, these are resources and this is training that we need to be able to get into the hands of these young people, of these developing athletes and performers before they find themselves in one of those moments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And as you point out, it's, it's not really been something that has gotten a lot of attention. It's really been something that's overlooked and, you know, traditionally it's, it's just been about the physical skills. So you know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, I'll go into a group of athletes, a new group of athletes that I work with, and I'll ask them, you know, what percentage of your sport is mental? 
you know, at this point. And, and I think you have to understand too, I mean, these are, these are athletes who are, you know, probably late high school, early college aged athletes. You know, I, I do work with quite a few youth and, and really just high school athletes in general, but these are athletes who are very, very good, you know, and they've put, they've put time into the technical and the physical and the tactical sides of their sport. And so when I ask them like how much of their sport is mental, you know, almost always I'll get a number that's greater than 50% you know, if not greater than 70%. And so I don't necessarily think that it's it's a lack of awareness or lack of understanding of importance. But the next question that I'll ask is, you know, of course, who here has invested any sort of time into training the mental side of their por- their sport and all, or performance? And almost always, it's a big fat goose egg. It's a big fat zero. And I don't, and it, but again, I don't think that it's necessarily because they don't think that it's important. I think the issue is that if I were to go to you, Jerry, and, and to say, Jerry, you know, whatever sport you want to train for, create a three-day physical workout that you could do, you know, create three physical workouts that you could do for your sport. And you could almost certainly be able to do that. You could almost certainly be able to come up with some sort of cardio, some sort of strength training regimen, just something. It's not going to be perfect. It's probably not going to even be optimal, but you can get something down on a sheet of paper. If I said, Jerry, can you now create for yourself a mental workout, a mental routine for your sport? There's very few people that even know where to start. And I think that's the issue. I think that's the fundamental challenge that I was seeing in my space. And that's obviously the inspiration behind the train with Perkside is to be able to start to give reliable resources or at least a process or a few frameworks that are going to help just people just to get started. Because like I said, I don't think it's an issue of people thinking that it's it's unimportant. I think it's a lack of valuable, high quality resources, but then also kind of wading through all the fluff and, and all the stuff that you know, it just isn't terribly effective that you see on Instagram, but it gets likes and shares and posts and stuff like that. So yeah, for sure. If it's too hard to figure out, then people are going to give up before they even start, start trying. So let's, let's explore that a little bit more then. Let's say we got some parents out there. We've got some, you know, aspiring young athletes. Um, where can they start in, in helping their kids investing in the mental side? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, not to shameless plug here, but I've got an entire YouTube channel that I'm developing that's going to have a whole host of resources on there. And I think where you get started is just by kind of starting to have the conversation. And, you know, there's obviously the question of, you know, when, when do you start? I would say, you know, once they, you know, 10, 11, 12, I think it's very easy to start installing tools like how do we breathe? How do we handle our emotions? What does it actually look like to focus? You know, where can we kind of draw our motivation from? Just very foundational things can be installed as early as, as the age of 10. And like I said, I've I've got plenty of resources over there on the YouTube channel. I've got a free guide on my website. I've, I've got, I'll have, you know, some paid stuff on my website too, but just the, the free resources that I put out there from what I've at least seen in my space and what I've seen online, the free stuff that I'm putting out there is what some people are making, making you pay for. And I don't think that's necessarily right. I think that, you know, the stuff that I put out there is, you know, we can put valuable content in the world to help people, to get people meaningful results. And then, then if they do become a paying client later, that's great. But I would say, you know, definitely, you know, if you want to link to the YouTube channel, definitely just go and start exploring some of that. I think from a parent standpoint too, it's important. You know, a lot of the resources that I've been putting out there is just for parents in terms of how to recognize certain signs, how to become more aware of, you know, is my athlete having a hard time with pressure? If so, what would that look like? Are they struggling with their emotions? Um, if so, what would that look like? And then what to do about it? And obviously those are, those are big, deep, dense concepts, but I think just starting to 
raise your awareness around it, seeking out resources, whether it's from me or from other people in my space that have, you know, a similar type background with an education and training um, component to it. And I think we should always be very wary, especially in the youth sports space. There, There's definitely a big problem in terms of there's a lot of coaches, whether it's specific sport coaches or strength and conditioning coaches, or even, you know, quote unquote, mental coaches that they're out there, you know, to try and get a quick buck and maybe what they're putting out there isn't always of, of value or terribly effective. Um, and I think, unfortunately, we see that a lot more in the youth sports space because there's a lower barrier to entry. But youth sports in university? Yeah. Yeah. And everybody, you know, everybody kind of thinks that, you know, they're an expert and there are definitely some good people out there, but I definitely think that parents could do the marketplace a really a big service just by doing a little bit of due diligence, you know, just really asking yourself, you know, you know, who is this person worked with? Do they have people attesting to their services? Do they even have, and if not, do they at least have a, have a background or some training that makes sense before you allow those individuals to kind of work with your kiddo, especially when it comes to some of the mental stuff. Yeah, I'd love to unpack a little bit of what you were you were saying. You you'd mentioned a, a few tools there. I'm even thinking about my my son David. He's 14 now, and I don't expect him to be like an elite athlete or or anything. And I, you know, there's there's lots of parents out there too, and you know, a lot of kids aren't necessarily gonna you know be top tier. But but I definitely see as a parent, you know, the mental side come in, right? Whether it's trying to hit a hit a a baseball that's coming at him, you know, really fast or whatever. And I think he maybe recognizes that there is a mental side to it. But, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe it's just too intimidating for him or whatnot. So I was, I was kind of curious, like intimidating in the sense of trying to figure it out. So he just kind of focuses on the, the physical side. So you mentioned some things earlier. I mentioned, you mentioned, I think breathing was, was one of them. Well, let's, let's, before we start, you know, kind of throwing out just kind of tools into these ethos, if you're, if you're willing, maybe we can kind of break down maybe a specific struggle that you might be seeing with David. And then we can kind of, kind of talk through that as if, you know, you are one of my clients and then we can kind of say, you know, this would be kind of the progression from there. So within David with baseball, what are maybe one, two, maybe three concerns that you see that you might suspect as, as any parent might, that it might be connected to, you know, just the mental side of the sport? What would one of those maybe struggles or, or challenges that you see David have, what would one of those things be? Sure. Yeah. So there's a bunch of his, you know, his game that's, that's really strong. The one area that is definitely his, his biggest weakness, I would say, is, is just with batting. Sure. What specifically about batting, about hitting? Well, he physical side, he's he's a smaller guy, and he and he has less a bit less experience. So you know now he's getting into the older age groups. You know these pitchers are pitching a lot faster, and sometimes you know he's gotten hit a, a bunch of times. <laughs> so I think sometimes there's a bit of a bit of fear around the ball. So I, I I find even when I'm working with him now, just just him and I together, he's not aggressive enough. Like he's kind of timidly swinging at the ball, and I don't think it's from his ability. I think it's just more lacking some some confidence yeah the way that i talk about confidence is is confidence is really a result you know if we have we have a lack of confidence that's generally due to a few other things being in play such as maybe there's some anxiety there's some fear around that um and then confidence of course is is based on what actions are we able to take in those moments that matter but going back to the that specific example so one of the things that I would I would really like to like to know, and this is a conversation that you could have with David, is does David understand what it looks like for him to be at his best mentally as a hitter? And I think this is a really important place for anybody to start. Because when we start with mental training, we need to be able to define 
what is the purpose? What's the goal? What's the actual intent that we're going to be putting behind our training? And that intent should always start with what does it actually look like for us mentally from a mental state standpoint in order for us to be at our best? So a mental state is really made up of two components. It's how our, it's how our mind feels. So you talk about confidence or mood or levels of optimism, or you even bring up a really nice word in terms of aggression. How aggression, how aggressive are we able to be? Those are all the kind of things that, you know, quote unquote, determine like how our mind feels. But then we also have, what is our mind able to do? And this is, I think, where people kind of we forget about this, right? We forget that, you know, our brain isn't there to just make us feel good. Our brain is there to be able to do specific tasks. So for David, in terms of being a baseball player, his brain needs to be able to diagnose the pitch, right? He needs to get, he needs two things. He needs velocity and location to be successful as a hitter, right? He needs to be able to diagnose how fast is the ball coming in and where's the ball going to go. Well, that is a, is a brain, that's a function of the brain to be able to process that information very quickly and then to be able to make a decision. Now, that's a very complicated process, especially, you know, when you think about these big leaguers being able to do that in, you know, three tenths of a second, but they're able to get their mind in a position to be able to do that. And I think that's where we would probably want to look with David and to say, in those moments when you're hitting, how well are you tracking the ball? How well are you picking up the ball? Does the ball look like a little marble or does the ball look like a little bit of a beach ball? Because that actually can be, especially for baseball players, especially for hitters, can be a sign of how well is their brain in a position to be able to execute that function of diagnosing velocity and location. So I would, you know, I think that's a, a good conversation with you to have is to help him understand, David, what does it look like for you to be at your best? What's your mind feel like when you're absolutely at your best, when you feel like you're on top of the world? What's your mind feel like, but then also what's your mind able to do? And then we'd also want to take a look at, okay, in those moments that you struggle, what do you feel like is happening? What do you notice? Is there some emotions? Is it just a matter of his attention is being taken away from that actual task of diagnosing the pitch? And this is something that we see with young baseball players and young hitters all the time. They get up there and whether it's a lack of a plan or just the inability to get their mind in, in the right mental state or just fundamentally being able to place their attention on where they need to be able to place it on. Because what I would suspect is that if he is getting anxious, if there is a little fear around the ball, that's actually where his focus is going. And it's not necessarily the focus is the quote unquote, the very simple see ball, hit ball, right? Anytime we start thinking about, and this is for all the parents that are out there, your athlete needs to be able to understand what does it look like for them to be at their best, right? David's probably at his best when there's an element, there's a, a calm mind, so a quiet mind, so just fundamentally less thought. He's probably able to then pick up the baseball sooner and track it longer. There's not this anxiousness um, creating this tunnel vision that makes the ball look smaller, um, which is, of course, more intimidating. It's harder to hit. But I think you, you kind of lean into, you know, when David's at his best, he's a little bit more aggressive. He's up there. He's trying to attack the ball. And that's a fundamentally different mindset than being one of, please God, don't hit me in the face with the ball, right? That's a fun, those are two fundamentally different mindsets and they're going to make the brain operate differently. And so for David, you know, if he goes back and he listens to this episode, I would really have him focus on define what it looks like to be at your best mentally. Okay. What are some of those, what are, what are some of the immediate actions then within that? Because of those three things that I just gave you, there's two decisions, right? There's a decision to be more aggressive and there's a decision to just direct your attention on the baseball. Now, there's also the component of what may be taking 
his mind away from that ability to do that. That's where some of that emotion or some of that anxiety come in. And then that would be the biggest thing that he would probably want to work on and develop a tool or a skill or an understanding around. And then he could just pop over to my YouTube channel. I've got plenty of videos talking about that and some strategies and I'll, I'll have more coming. But that's fundamentally the process. And I think for any parent out there, when you see your child struggle with something, Really ask yourself, you know, when I see my child at their best, when I see my young athlete at their best, what do I see them doing? And by what I see them doing, what decisions specifically lie within that? Like with you, Jerry, you see that when David's at his best, he chooses to be more aggressive. He's choosing to probably clearly more focus on the pitch, right? Focus on tracking the baseball versus his attention probably isn't getting away from it. He's probably not worried about what you're thinking or what the coach is thinking or what's going to happen. Right. Right. So, yeah. That's great. Appreciate that. A little bit of a yeah. process there. Um, which I think is a great, a great segue into um, another thing I'd love to, to explore a little bit, which is role of parents and, and what parents can and perhaps shouldn't do in terms of, you know, creating the, the, the best environment for their athletes from a, from a mental side. Right. Um, I think parents, parents play a big role in, and I know you work a lot of times with parents directly on on things. How can we as parents um, be at our best for our, our aspiring athletes? I think, you know, there's there's generally two or three things that when parents come to me, there's two or three concerns. And if I was if I was to put them into categories, the first concern is am I putting too much pressure on my kid? The second concern is how do I motivate my kid? And the third concern is how do I give my kid more confidence? Okay, now those are three big concepts. So pressure, we'll start there. We'll start with pressure. I think if a parent wants to be able to really make sure that, you know, they're not putting or that their child isn't experiencing an unhealthy amount of pressure, pressure is connected to identity. Okay, so our identity is made up of two things. How we feel like the world values us as well as how do we value ourselves. Now, for David, let's say that, you know, just because he's the easiest example here, let's say that David, you know, too much of his self-worth, too much of his identity starts to get wrapped up in baseball, right? So maybe, you know, he thinks the world around him values him as baseball or baseball is just a big part of who he is now or who he's going to be. And when that happens, then he is going to feel the experience of pressure because he cares about what he does. Now, pressure inherently isn't a bad thing, right? We feel pressure. I feel pressure. You feel pressure. We feel pressure in areas of our life that are meaningful and impactful to us. Okay, so pressure for many people and for people who have a healthy relationship with pressure, pressure is just a sign that I'm doing something that, that I should be. This is the moment that I should be in. This is what I want to be doing. Pressure has a pretty hard ceiling though, right? In terms of the amount of pressure that we can experience before it has a dramatic negative impact. And that ceiling is pretty well poured in concrete. If what we do becomes too much of who we are, too much of how we value ourselves, too much of how we perceive that the world around us values us, then we're going to experience a level of pressure that's going to create a stress response in the body that's going to just negatively impact the mental state and the physical state to a point to where they're not going to be able to perform at their peak. Or they may even have the, that dramatic drop-off in performance that we define as choking. And so then it becomes a question of what's the parent's role in that? And I think one of the biggest things that parents need to be hyper-conscious of is how much of what I'm doing as a parent might be conveying, whether right, wrong, or indifferent, 
might be conveying or creating this reality in my child that I find them valuable because of this thing that they're doing. And of course, you think about those parents, all the stories that you know I've I've heard, you've heard, where the parents are all about the kids' sport, right? We're going here this weekend, we're going there this weekend, we're getting this training, we're getting this training. They're they're super emotional in the stands, and just all the all the signs of just not optimal behavior from a parent and the reason that but we have to really understand why it's not optimal why it's not productive for a parent to be able to do that because every single time a parent responds that way or talks to their athlete um you know on the ride home or when they get home or you know it feels as though to the athlete every waking second mom or dad want to talk to me about my sport well what do you what sort of reality do you think then that that creates for the kid the kid is going to immediately start to think that i'm valuable to my parents because of this thing that I'm doing. And then you start to see all the negative effects of that within their sport and within their performance. So parents, first and foremost, need to be hypersensitive, especially if they have a kid who's very achievement oriented, very type A, very just like, you know, they're going to put enough pressure on themselves by themselves. Sometimes it's the parent's role to make sure that that child is investing in other areas of their life. And so if we find individuals or when I work with individuals who, you know, they're experiencing just that unhealthy or even just unproductive level of pressure in their performance, many times that's due to just this massive imbalance in their identity in that what they do has become just far too much of who they are. And so it's the parent's job then. It's kind of this give and take. You know, there's some parents that are going to listen to this that that they might be putting, you know, or conveying this message too much and they need to be able to pull back. And there's some parents that are listening to this who their athlete who just on their own has made this thing so much of who they are. And now they're having, you know, emotional difficulties and now they're having inability with focus or handling stress. And it's really becoming apparent. Sometimes it's just the job of the parent to pull their kid away from the thing. Just like, all right, we're going to take a little break for a little bit. You know, we've been doing this for nine months. Maybe we take a couple months off and you go do something else for a little bit. And this is, you know, that's why, you know, when you see these athletes who specialize in one sport at the age of four, you know, it becomes very unproductive. Yeah, I, I hear you on that. So really just, just a lot of, and I would perhaps add to that, just what I'm hearing from you is just a lot of, a lot of messaging around following them as, as, as a person outside of the sport and just sort of that, well, really just that unconditional love and acceptance, right? Well, I, I would, I would ask any parent too. It's think about what would happen if, and maybe, maybe for some that are listening to this, it has happened to them where your job, what you do, your career has become so much of who you are in that you feel this tremendous amount of pressure because your family's relying on you in your career, you're relying on you in your career, everybody sees you as this big flashy job that you have or this career that you're in. What would happen then if your job came under threat somehow or you had this big presentation or the boss got on you or you know you really you really choked in a, in a big moment within your job. Imagine how that's going to feel for you and how threatening that experience can be because pressure is going to happen when we feel like our value to the world is under attack, is under threat. Okay, So somebody who is very wrapped up in their career and their career has become such a big part of how they value themselves, when they go into that big meeting, you know, based on how well that meeting goes, whether you know they do well or they do poorly, is going to determine how how well they can continue to value themselves and thus they're going to experience this threat. Well, it's no different for your child. It's no different for your young athlete. If your young athlete goes into a situation or let's say they are a baseball player and they step into that batter's box and they legitimately think that if I strike out here, mom and dad are going to like, going to value me less as a person, they don't have a chance in the world at hitting that baseball. 
you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of times, I mean, I'm thinking of my own self here too. Like I, I tend to be someone who's more on the logical oriented side. So I'm always thinking about, you know, constructive ways to improve and get better. And even if underlying, it's really important to, I guess, to, to over communicate, you know, those messages of, of support, even if, even if you think you're being supportive, it's the programming that's going inside that, you know, that young person's head might be thinking otherwise, you know? And so, well, just to wrap up, what are, what are some other final thoughts you have for, um, for parents out there who are, who are listening? Um, well, I would encourage any parent that, you know, wants to know more or wants, you know, some access to some resources. I would absolutely encourage them to get over to my website. I've got a free guide there that would be great for any parent who has an athlete or a performer. And it's actually a guide for the athlete and for the performer in terms of just three simple things that they could do, you know, kind of before their next performance that could help them, you know, better mentally prepare. I basically, I built this guide as if, if somebody came into my office on a Thursday or Friday and they had a big performance on a Monday and, you know, you know, they, they really came in they said, Jay, and this has happened before. It's why I built the guy, Jay, what's two or three things that I could work on over the weekend that would put myself in a better position to be able to perform in that big moment. Um, that's uh, like, again, train with perk, perk is P-E-R-C. So train with perk, P-E-R-C.com forward slash free guide. And then of course that free guide, that'll put you on my email list. And I send out, I send out content every single week to my email list. Much of it is dedicated towards parents. I've got a lot of parents and a lot of coaches. I think at this point I have 2000 families on that email list and we have some great conversations over there and I'm always taking you know suggestions I'm always answering questions I'll have parents you know reach out to me via email with any questions and I'm, I'm always willing willing to help out and kind of lend a hand where I can so that's where I would say you know we've had a really nice conversation here today um, if parents are interested or if their interest is at least peaked and they want to know about some more resources I would I would absolutely encourage them to get over there Awesome. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, you got you got a lot of great stuff, like you said, on your, your YouTube channel. And uh, I'll definitely, you know, as a parent, be checking out more of your stuff. And um, yeah, I've certainly grown a bit as a, as a parent today and trying to understand best how to uh, support my son, David. So it's been it's been great. Thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely, man. Jerry, thank you so much for having me. Um, really enjoyed the conversation.